your leadership, Abba. We ask you, Holy Spirit, reveal the Father's heart to us more and more through the words and the deeds and the lifestyle of Jesus. Let us see that thumbprint of the Father's leadership and his personality through what Jesus did, that we could have confidence in our heart in a greater way as we as the years unfold leading to your return. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're on uh, this session, Intimacy with the Trinity, in John 14. And again, I've said this over and over that in the other next sem- following semesters, it'll be Intimacy with the Trinity, John 15, then John 16, then John 17, Lord willing. And I think he is willing. We're at session seven here. We're working through John 14, verse by verse. We're in verses 7 to 9 tonight. This remarkable declaration that we're so familiar with that it might not seem remarkable, but it is truly remarkable that a man walked on the earth, Jesus of Nazareth, fully God, fully man. He revealed what the God of Israel, the God of Genesis 1 is like and gave us clear insight into the God of Genesis 1, his leadership and his emotions, what it is that he wants and what he's after, how he relates. That is a remarkable reality that we have the embodiment in one man of this perfect picture of what the invisible God is like and what he wants and how he acts and what we can expect from him. It's remarkable. We can easily kind of run, move on past that and forget how absolutely glorious that reality is. And so we need to look at the life of Jesus and search out for understanding of the Father's emotions, his embrace, his leadership, his activity, what he wants, what he's going to do. We can get all kinds of understanding, and that prepares our heart as the years unfold for troubles for disappointments, for the glory of God, many, many different facets, positive and negative, that we will face in our lives. Well, let's go. I always do a little bit of review. Paragraph A, Jesus starts off with the primary exhortation of the passage, of of the whole chapter. He says, don't let your heart be troubled. He commands the disciples to do their part, because we do have a part and not allowing trouble to dominate their emotions. He says, you have to believe in me. He goes, I'm going to give you a number of core truths. In John 14, 15, 16, 17, you have to engage with those truths. You have to believe in me. What I'm about to tell you, it's not just so that you can go, wow, isn't that amazing? It's so that you can get these truths into your conversation with the Lord, with myself, Jesus, and with the Father. And if you do your part, that when trouble rises up in your heart, you resist it, I'll do my part, verse 27, I'll give you supernatural peace. Philippians 4, verse 7, peace that guards the mind and the emotions, the mind and the heart. Can you imagine supernatural peace, how critical it is in the hour that we live in to have peace guarding our mind from rambling on in dark thoughts? And our emotions raging like a storm on the inside. He says, my peace will guard your heart and your mind. 
Well, in 2 Corinthians 5, 10, verse 5, I'm going to use a different verse to say the same principle that I've said every week about how we do our part. I've been talking about we're transformed by renewing our mind. I've used those passages, that passage a handful of times, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Here's Paul's one way that Paul said it. He's saying the same thing. Take every thought captive to obedience or to agreement with what Jesus says. So our thoughts, fear emerges, shame emerges in our mind and our emotions, worry, rejection. We take that thought captive. We say, no, I'm not letting you run wild. I'm taking you captive into obedience or into agreement with what Jesus says. I'm gonna say what Jesus says. And I'm gonna take you into captivity or I'm not going to let you run wild and destroy my inner life. Verse 5 in 2 Corinthians, Paul said, cast down the arguments or the lies because the fear and the shame and the rejection, it's rooted in lies. Cast it down. Don't let it run rampant in your emotions because these are lies against the truth about, of God. Paragraph B, Jesus declared five core truths in John 14, verse 2 to 7. Now, I've been talking about the four core truths in John 14, 2 and 3, but now we're adding another passage. So now we're at the fifth core truth. And there's several more to come throughout John 14 that we have to believe, meaning we have to engage in conversation with the Lord on these truths, and we have to take captive the lies, and we have to replace them with truth. That's our part of not letting Fear and trouble dominate our heart. Verse two, he says, in my Father's house. Well, we're gonna live forever with the Father. That's truth number one. I go and secure, I prepare a place and it can't ever be undone. That we're gonna enjoy the Father forever. It's guaranteed. The place is prepared, it's secure. I'm coming back for you. I'm gonna shift this earth to the age to come and it's gonna be forever together in the glory of God. I'm coming back for you. And I'm coming back for you at the second coming and it is a future of indescribable glory for billions of years. But I'm also coming back to you by the person of the Holy Spirit and I'll be interacting with you even by the indwelling spirit. Why does he want to secure a place and come back for us? Core truth number four, he gives us the why behind the what. Because I want you with me where I am. Beloved, he wants us with him more than we want to be with him. We think, oh God, I love your presence. He says, I want you with me even more than you want to be with me. Why do we care about, I mean, what do we do with that truth? Well, in a normal, weak thought process, it's, my life is worthless, it's not gonna work, I'm forgotten, and the Lord says, well, no, no, speak the word of God. I want you with me. Well, it doesn't feel like it, Lord, take that thought captive. Bring it into obedience or to agreement with what I say. And now in verse seven, we're gonna go to the fifth core truth. If you had known me, or if you had understood me, in the place of the word, if you, if you had known me or understood me, you would have understood my Father. 
his heart, his embrace, his leadership, his narrative about your life, you would have understood my father's leadership. From now on, he declares a fact. From now on, you do know him. You can engage with the Father because of what I've done. From now on, you have indescribable possibilities because you can now engage with the Father directly. That's the fifth truth. And again, what do we do with these truths? It's so common for believers to just be tossed around like a ship out at sea, tossed by the waves, emotions, confusion, rejection, lies, shame. I'm worthless. It's not, I've canceled out. I have no future. It doesn't matter anyway. And Jesus says, no, engage with the Father. He's there and he wants to interact with you. Make that a priority. And of course, everybody in theory, it is a priority. But I think that most people in reality, it's kind of a a rare interaction, and Jesus is saying, do you understand that from now on you can interact with the Father and the possibilities are endless where that could take you in terms of your inner life, in terms of your outer life as well? Well, I have the truths, one, two, three, four, five, on the page there. Number five, that from now on, just to say it again, by relating to the Father now, in an intentional, not continual in the sense of every moment of every day, but in an intentional way, not a casual here and there, by relating to the Father, it empowers us to not let our heart be troubled, to be taken by the storm of wild emotions. By interacting with the Father, we are empowered to not let trouble dominate our hearts. And that's, the, that's what he said in verse 1. He says you got to believe that you really can interact with the Father. And if it's true, because it's true, make it a priority in your life. Roman numeral 2. One of Jesus' primary themes in John 14 is how we are to understand the Father. There's significant implications to how we understand the Father. To understand his embrace. Many people know in theory the Father embraces us, but in actuality, shame and fear and rejection rule in their hearts. To know the Father's narrative for your life. The enemy is going to work overtime to sell you on his narrative of your life. And often our own narrative, our own view of our life is influenced uh, much by the enemy, and it's even often through the lips of others. And Jesus is saying, it's important that you understand the Father's leadership, his embrace, his narrative, his promises, his activities in your life, who he is to you and who you are to him. The implications are very significant because that's the way that we can walk free from fear and offense and deception, etc., Well, let's read the three verses that we're going to break down in this this session. Verse 7 to 9, and then we'll look at some of the phrases in a few moments, just one by one. Jesus said, if you had known or understood me, if you really have understood me the last three and a half years, you would have understood my father's leadership. But you need to know it now because I'm going to die tomorrow. 
And the way that you think about the Father's leadership will really affect how you, your mind and your emotions and therefore your actions. He says, if you had known and understood me, which they didn't, they saw his miracles and thought it was amazing and they heard his teaching, but they didn't know it was a perfect reflection of the Father's leadership because they're gonna be under the Father's leadership after he dies. He says, you would have understood my father's, his narrative towards you, you would have understood his promises towards you if you really understood that I was a perfect expression of his heart and his leadership. But from now on, from now on you know him. From now on you have seen him. So from this day forward, you're gonna go back and review, Jesus is talking to the disciples, you're gonna review the things I taught the way I interacted with broken lives, how I healed people, what I did in my lifestyle, you're gonna go back and connect the dots that it's giving you insight to how the Father's, what the Father's like. And you're gonna go, okay, now I, I'm seeing, and then I'm gonna interact with the Father with the confidence of knowing about him from the deeds and the teaching and the lifestyle of Jesus. So we read the four Gospels, and of course it makes us love Jesus, but it also is to cause us to understand the Father's leadership. That's what they did not grasp. Philip says, show us the Father. That's enough for us. Verse nine, Jesus said, Philip, have I been with you so long, three and a half years, and yet you still don't understand that I was showing you the Father for the last three and a half years. He says, let me say it clear, Philip. He that has seen me, heard my teachings, watched my miracles, saw the countenance on my face, saw the joy that I had in forgiving and rescuing lives. From now on, you've seen the Father. Connect the dots now. So how can you say, show us the Father? And again, the, 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 the bigger storyline is, I'm going to die tomorrow. And you must believe in the Father's leadership. It's critical that you believe what I tell you about what I, Jesus, am going to do and what my Father is like because it will matter dynamically on the way that you navigate trouble in your mind and emotions. Paragraph B, let's take the first phrase in verse seven. If you had known me, if you had understood me, to the degree that we understand Jesus' teaching, his mission, his personality through the four Gospels. To that degree, we understand the Father's embrace. We understand his narrative towards our life. That's one of the big ones, is that so often we can't get a hold of God's narrative over our life, and so we sink with despair and fear and tons of uncertainty. We don't have to know the details of the future because it's, you've, you've, you've heard the phrase, because we know the one who holds the future. It's a cute phrase, but it's actually true. If I believe in his character, I don't have to know the details about next year and the future trouble and the future glory because I'm connected to him. And he has an, inner, an interest in me like Jesus had in his disciples. He revealed what the father's like towards his children. Jesus emphasized the affection 
the deep involvement, the relational dimension of God's personality as a father. And I would add the, the father's embrace, the father's narrative, the father's deeds and leadership. Jesus emphasized those dimensions of the father. Turn to the top of page two. We go to the next phrase. He says, from now on, you know him and you've seen him. Again, that is a startling statement. I mean, absolutely stunning that a man born of a woman lived on the earth and was a perfect representation of what the father's personality and leadership is like, what his activity is like. Jesus is actually stating a fact. He goes, from now on, you do know. But you have to do this. You have to take time to review, this is Jesus speaking, review what I've taught you and what you've seen me do and how I live. Connect the dots and recognize the Father's leadership in it. Paragraph one. The essence of eternal life is to encounter the Father and the Son. Jesus would say that a few hours later in John 17. He said, this is the essence. This is the main point of eternal life. To interact with the Father and to interact with me, the Son. That's the point. Often, and, and it's, it's not wrong to do this, but often the gospel is presented as a free way, as a free way out of hell. Fire insurance. <laughs> That's, it is true. It is our free ticket out of hell. But people say, how would you like to live forever and get out of hell? And not, you know, it's presented in the negative. And there's, there, there's biblical reason, I mean, there's biblical model for presenting those kind of truths. But Jesus is saying, salvation is much more than getting out of trouble. It's entering into an interaction with the God of Israel, with the God of Genesis 1, and with me, his son. Life without the Father is the essence of darkness and torment in hell. There's a verse in Luke chapter 13 where the unbeliever after the age to come stands before Jesus, and they're in his presence, and his presence is so filled with beauty and life and joy, and his presence is the fullness of joy, and the unbelievers are brought there, and I don't know exactly what's going on in their mind, but then he says, depart from me, and that's when they gnash their teeth. They're going, no, we can't leave this presence. He goes, no, depart forever. And one of the great penalties or one of the great torments of hell is they got to be in his presence for a few moments even during their time of judgment. And it was indescribable glory. And he says, now depart from me. Luke chapter 13, and that's when they gnash their teeth. And they go, this is indescribable. Beloved, we, I love to say this. I've said this for 40 years. We have it made. We have it made. We have such an incredible good deal. The Father and the Son have brought us into communication with them. That's the essence of eternal life. Later on in John 17, just a few moments after he said, Eternal life, the essence of eternal life is interacting with us. 
And it starts in this age. I don't want to wait to the age to come to interact with the Father. Paragraph 2, a few moments later, Jesus is praying to the Father now in John 17. And he says, Father, I've declared your name to them. And after I die and raise from the dead and seated at your right hand, I'm going to continue to declare your name to them. One of Jesus' focuses of his ministry through the Holy Spirit, making the name of the Father known. His name means, not just his name, his technical name, his name means his personality, his character, his plans, what he's like. That's what the Bible means by the name of God. It's what he's like. It's his character, the name of a person. It depicts their character. There's over 300 names of God in various ways to count that, uh, get, to get to that 300. They depict different facets of his personality. But by far, by far, the, the name of God, Jesus revealed most was the Father, and that was new. There's only whispers of the Father in the Old Testament. The four Gospels, the vast majority of Jesus' revelation of God, of those 300 names, was the name Father. He goes, I'm going to continue to declare it by the Holy Spirit. How's he going to do that? How is Jesus going to declare the Father's name now, I mean, through church history? Number one, by the Word of God. We read the Word of God, and we talk to Jesus and the Father. And the, our understanding grows little by little, incrementally, but it grows. Another way we learn about the Father's name, Jesus proclaims it through the Lord's messengers. I'm talking right now about the Father's name, and some of you are going to get a couple new thoughts tonight. And the Lord's going to use you to do like He's using many of you the same way. You don't need to stand in front of a on a on a platform and speak on a microphone. You can do it one on one, one on two, one on three. You are messengers of the Father's name. You're telling people what He's like, but it matters because some people they'll get it directly from the words, but those very people will get it through you, from your mouth as well. Determine, you're going to partner with Jesus to make the Father's name known, his character, his plans, his narrative. Some people, I mean, they're going to get it that way, and then other times they're going to get it through dreams and visions. Acts 2.17 says, In the generation the Lord returns, all of the servants, all the children of God, sons and daughters, will receive dreams and visions. And the visions and dreams I care about the most isn't just details of what might happen in nations or in people's lives. Those are important. I want to see the heart of the Father and the Son more. By dreams and visions. I've had a few of those over my life, over the years, and I love it. It's fantastic. It marks you in a special way. Another way that God, Jesus, reveals the Father's name is by intervening and blessing your circumstance. The surprise healing, the surprise, the, the surprise open door, the surprise trouble that the Lord answers. And we go, Father, you know me, you love me. And he goes, yeah, there you go, there you go. I'm, I'm revealing my name in these various ways. Paragraph D, Philip says, Lord, show us the Father. And that is sufficient for us. Show us the Father. He apparently, what I assume, and many Bible teachers would have the same assumption, he's asking for a theophany. A theophany is a big word that means just a visible manifestation of God. 
Like Peter, James, and John had just been to the Mount of Transfiguration and Jesus transfigured. His face was brighter than the sun, the glory of God. They, went, they saw his, his glory in his deity and his glory that's going to be given to him after he rose from the dead. And they were just awestruck in this theophany, this manifestation of God right in front of their eyes. Moses saw God in a manifest way in various ways. Never saw his face, but they call it a theophany. He was saying, show us one of those about the Father. And Jesus saying, no, you're, you're, not, you're not getting, I might give you something. I mean, later on, John, Revelation 4, he had a theophany. He saw the glory of the Father on the throne in Revelation 4 and 5. And others did, but that's Jesus saying, that's not what I'm talking about right now. I'm not promising you a theophany between now and when you're the end of your natural life. He goes, I'm helping you connect the dots that through the written word of God, through the Holy Spirit touching your heart, you're going to connect the dots of what I did and you're going to see the Father. This prayer, show us the Father. I don't think Philip understood. He made two tremendous statements here. His prayer, show us the Father, and the second I will be totally satisfied. It's sufficient if we see the Father. Those were two of the most clear prophetic declarations. I don't believe Philip meant them in the way that we can take them now. Beloved, I would encourage you. Make this one of your primary prayers. Show me the Father. That's the Ephesians 1.17 we pray so often in the prayer room. Father of glory, the spirit of wisdom and revelation, whether it's the knowledge of Jesus or the Father you know, it, it, you're going to get the revelation of God. You want to see the Father's narrative for your life. That's one of the big gaps. Uh, I mean, the uh, uh, needs in the body of Christ to see how the Father sees your life and what he says about you in your weakness, in your smallness, in the small impact you have, how dear it is to him. We get lost in the shuffle and we see so-and-so has a big impact and their life looks real happy and dynamic and a lot of, you know, glitter and, and, and sizzle and we, oh, wow, wow, the Lord says, forget all that. Know what I think about you and what I, how I value what you're doing. Show me the Father's activity. Let me see his interaction in my life and in history. And then we recalibrate our life when we understand God's narrative. It's not the same as our narrative and it's not the same as the enemy's narrative of our life. We take our narrative, lay it aside. God has a narrative for you. He has a view and a plan for you that's dynamic and wonderful. And it may have difficulty. It may have smallness. It may have setbacks in it. But he goes, I know what I'm doing, and it's beautiful what I'm doing. I believe this is one of the, mo the most important prayers you can pray. Show us the Father. Paragraph E. And the second true statement, it is sufficient for us. One of the deepest cries of the human heart, whether we identify it or not, is to see the Father. The human heart was created in a way that we long to know that the Father enjoys his relationship with us. There's this deep longing. I, I call it one of the, the most significant and most important longings in, in the human spirit. God created us with the longing to want the assurance that he enjoys us. 
Not just that he loves us, and well, it, it is love, but love is used so many ways that people can just kind of pass that by. I like to use the word enjoy. I mean, it is love, but the Father enjoys us, even in our weakness. Beloved, that truth has dynamically changed my life over the years. As it's grown little by little over the years that he loves me. You were created for this. But you've got to see his narrative to feel that emotion. You got to see the truth about what he's like, or you'll never buy into that. You think, ah, oh, that's not really true. It can't be true. I, I'm a failure. I'm a loser. I'm a nothing. I'm a this. I'm a this. I'm a this. Everyone's told me that. The enemy tells me that. Look at my life. And the Lord says, no, look at my words over you. I don't mean prophecies of grandeur, the biblical declaration of who you are to Him. Why must John 14, 8, be a priority prayer. Show us the Father. Why? Because there's a prevailing stronghold in many lives, many believers. It's related to the fear of rejection and the trauma of shame. There is a stronghold in the lives of millions of believers. Therefore, we must make this prayer of Philip, although I believe he was praying it with a wrong view in mind, show us the Father. Our lives, number two, are unsettled. Without this stabilizing anchor in our life, till we know the Father's embrace, till we know the Father's narrative, till we know the Father's leadership, the kinds of things He's going to do, even in our circumstances. Many sincere believers, many sincere. I've been a pastor uh, over 45 years, and I mean, one of the absolute number one issue in the life of sincere believers is they're paralyzed by shame of their sense of failure. Even exaggerated that their failures are real, but they make it the main part of their narrative and their story, and they, they, they read and interpret their life through that failure, and the Lord says, that's, that's not me. Take that thought into captivity. Take it. Put it into prison behind you and get rid of it, and bring your thoughts into obedience to me. A life of shame. One thing I've seen, I've learned this by watching it, a life of shame leads to a life of sin, more sin. If you feel dirty before God, you will live dirty. People, they walk in, they, they fall into horrible situations, and they feel so dirty, they feel so, for, it's over. And Jesus says, my blood, I prepared a place for you. That's one of the core truths. I want you where I am. That's where you're going to be. We're going to be together forever. You can interact with the Father even now. No, I'm dirty. I'm worthless. And when you feel dirty, you live dirty. It's because it doesn't matter anymore. Like, who cares? It's over anyway. The, the enemy just piles up lies. Lie after lie after lie. Paragraph F. Jesus said, Philip, have I been with you so long and you don't understand that I have been giving you perfect insight and clarity about the Father's leadership and his embrace over your life and his tender mercy? You don't understand that, do you, Philip? Now, this is a, it, it is a correction. He's saying, have I been with you so long? He's wanting to awaken Philip to urgency. He's wanting to alarm Philip and the guys all standing there. 
Tomorrow, I'm going to be dead. You will all deny me tonight. You must know that my last three and a half years is how the Father's going to look at you the way I've looked at broken lives. You have to know that. You cannot be casual about this. Like, well, if I connect with it, I connect with it. No, you need to get a hold of it. He's, Jesus is seeking to alarm and alert and to awaken urgency in Philip. And beloved, I can say by the Holy Spirit, the Lord is, the Spirit is saying that to the body of Christ across the earth. Have I been with you so long, 2,000 years the Spirit's been in the church history, and you still don't know the Father's leadership through the life and the words and the deeds of Jesus, and therefore you're tossed by storms because you don't know what the Father's really like and what he's going to do. Earlier, I have four or five, well, I have four verses there, but there's a few more. Earlier, Jesus had established the truth. If you see me, you see him, but that, that bounced right off of him. He told him that a number of times. In Mark 6, verse 52, I don't have it on the notes. He told them, after he was multiplying the food, he multiplied it three times, and they couldn't get it. And he said, you don't understand because your hearts are hardened. He wasn't rebuking them, saying, oh, you're just a whole bunch of you know, hopeless hypocrites. Your hearts are hardened. He's saying, take seriously your need to lean into the spirit of understanding. Go after it. It's yours. But know that you're a couple steps back more than you think you are. He told him in Mark 6, uh, 52, your hearts are hardened. That, again, that's not a rebuke. That's an alarm statement. He told the disciples on the road, of, uh, uh, on the road to Emmaus. In Luke 24, verse 25, he says, you're slow of heart. Again, that's not a rebuke. That's an alert. You don't want to spend the next 10 years slow of heart. I'm telling you because I love you. I'm telling you because if you get intentional about interacting with me and the Father, you won't be, if you know you're slow of heart, you're hard of heart, because we all are by nature, I will, if you go after it, I will give you more. That's the point he's making. Because paragraph F, he's told them four or five times in the Gospel of John alone when you see me, you've seen what the Father's leadership is like and what his narrative is like towards broken lives and people who need mercy. Paragraph G, this incredible declaration. He says it over and over in these three verses. If you've seen me, you've seen him. Go back and connect the dots. You love what I did. You loved how I interacted with people. You were so filled with joy at my teaching, my miracles. That's the Father's personality. You're in good hands. You're in good hands. The devil is a liar. That's what he's telling them. Paragraph H. He gives another alert statement to him. First he says, have I been with you so long? And that's paragraph F and H. How can you keep saying, show us the Father? Again, he's not rebuking him in a negative tone. He's going, Philip. I mean, in 24 hours, I won't be here. You've got to lean into this. This isn't like you're just telling some glory stories of when you traveled with me the last couple of years. You have to connect with the Father. This is real. Your life is going to have pressures, and you're going to have a stewardship of the glory of God. But the only way it will work right is if you are in this growing dialogue with what the Father's like. 
Because if you have an accurate view, a somewhat accurate view, we never get the full picture in this age, but the more I understand the Father, the more I can process and look at my future, see troubles, see pressures, but I have confidence. I'm not near so vulnerable to fear and offense at God when I understand a little bit what the Father's like. I go, I don't like some of the negative that's emerging. I don't like some of the negative things I might face. I don't like some of the difficulties I might have to endure. But I know in just a minute, everything that the Father has said is true. And I have it made forever. And it's worth it to go with him with all of my heart. Top of page three. Well, we have 10 expressions of the Father's heart. We're just going to kind of rapid fire through most of these because they're not complicated. But I just, and you could have had 20 on the list, by the way. Sometimes somebody goes, how'd you come up with 10? I ran out of space. That's how on the page. <laughs> it's not, I'm not, I'm not a, a, a presenting this as comprehensive, but it's enough to give you a running start. Paragraph A, the Father knows. He knows this well. I mean, this is so obvious, but it needs to be said. That a relationship-based leadership is the most effective way to lead. He's going, if we have relationship and we have friendship and you trust me, you will obey me much more. Beloved, that applies to family dynamics. Leadership in the family, when it's based and relationship with a spirit of friendship. It doesn't mean you agree with everything, but there's a genuine relationship-based leadership in the home or in any kind of team building, whether it's in the marketplace, whether it's team building in a ministry setting in a church or in a campus or whatever, in a missions world, any kind of team building. When there's friendship-based leadership, it's far more effective. And the ultimate picture of relationship or friendship-based leadership is the Father. Because there's a lot more going on than, than just learning leadership principles and biblical doctrines. Your heart is interacting with him and your heart is opening and it feels comfortable and connected to him. And you learn better principles and better doctrine when your heart is growing in openness and confidence before the Lord. He knows that. So as the father, he's going to lead us in these ways. Then I have just a whole lot of Things here. You could made made this list in paragraph A twice as big. Many principles of godly fatherhood. Again, whether it's a mother or whether it's a team builder, a team building leader, whatever, they include all of these different dynamics plus more. Well, expression number one. Jesus is going to talk about the Father. We're at verse seven to nine. In a moment, he's going to be at verse twenty-three. We'll get there in a couple of weeks. Jesus got there in a few moments. But anyway, in verse 23, he, he, gives the, he talks directly about the Father in verse 23. He says, I want you to know that my Father is going to, wants to engage with you and dwell with you, manifest his presence in your life. That's the first thing that he's going to emphasize about the Father after he says, I revealed the Father. He goes, he's going to manifest his glory to you. In this age, not just the age to come. And the manifest glory doesn't necessarily mean you will see some startling vision. You might. You might have a couple of those in your life. You never know. That's not what I mean. Seeing his glory is feeling the tenderness of God touching your heart. The way that he sees you with tenderness and kindness, that's the glory of God. 
That's what Moses said in Exodus chapter 33, verse 18. He said, Father, show me your glory. Exodus 33, 18. And the, Father, and the Lord says, the Lord shall proclaim the name of the Lord. He's gracious. He's kind. He's tender. He's slow to anger. That's the glory of God. It's our inheritance. Here's my point. Don't settle for less than a growing relationship of God's, the Father's manifest presence in your life. Don't look at this and go, hey, that's a good teaching on the Father. That's kind of neat. Those are some neat principles. No, no, no. We've got to get these principles, these truths in our mouth with the Father. Again, the simple little thing I've said every session, we, when we see a truth, a promise about the Father, we say, thank you, God, show me more. Turn that truth into conversation. Here it is, Father, you want to manifest your presence? Show me more. Show me this. Get these truths into conversation in your mouth with him. Paragraph C, the second expression of the Father. It's right after John 14, verse 23. Right here, we're still in the upper room discourse. We're right here in John 13 to 17. The next thing is John 15, and this one really gets overlooked most times when we talk about the Father heart of God, but it's the next point he makes about the Father. He says in John 15, he goes, he's using the analogy of a believer's life being like a vine. It's a very common uh, analogy, very familiar in Israel. He goes, my father is the vine dresser. He's the head gardener, using the analogy. Verse two, every branch, every believer's life, because the branch is a believer's life, if they're bearing fruit, meaning they're growing in humility, they're growing in love, they're touching people's lives, they're growing in a servant spirit, they're growing in living understanding, they're bearing fruit in that way, and they're, they're receiving it and imparting it even a little bit. They're bearing fruit. This is so startling. If you bear fruit, the Father is going to prune you. He's going to cut back the branch. Like, what? <laughs> of course, a farmer, they, I mean, they understood this, those who worked in the vineyard, because if you don't prune the vine, it doesn't bear a lot of fruit. You cut back the uh, different branches that are stealing the sap, wasting the sap, the life of the vine. And you have to prune the branch in order for the branch to bear more fruit. It's a very simple principle to those that are in the vineyard. You'll bear more fruit. In other words, we must see the Father as a zealous vine dresser. He's overseeing the vineyard of your life. Set your expectation to be pruned. This is important because you will be pruned if you bear fruit. Re being pruned sometimes, I mean many times, it looks like being downsized. And people, when they get downsized, because if we're good Americans, we know the gospel, the American dream, the only thing that God does is make things bigger and better because we're Americans. God must be an American. Maybe, maybe he's not. He's not. We have this idea, if it's God, it's more money. If it's God, it's more health. If it's God, it's more favor. If it's God, it's more comfort. If God, it's more ease. If God is just happier and easier. God's favor, happier and easier. Unless it's not exactly. Not exactly. He takes the initiative as a father to intervene, catch this, to prune. Now, the Father's pruning is not divine discipline. Many people confuse discipline and pruning. 
Pruning is when he cuts off an area so he's removing a distraction from your life so you have more fruit in the, in the next season. It's actually because he's totally on your team. Discipline, he's highlighting a sin so that you walk away from compromise. Pruning, he's removing a distraction so you're not over busy. He's going, no, because you don't have enough insight. I mean, none of us do, really. I mean, every now and then we'll catch a little bit of insight, but we don't typically have enough insight or resolve to draw back on an area that's growing and it's exciting. If it's growing and it's happening, whoa, this is amazing. It's what I always wait. The Lord says, well, cut that off because actually now it's getting in the way. No, no. The Lord says, I know you can't get it. I'll do it for you. But you'll, later you'll say, wow, thank you. That's part of the Father's love for us is that he prunes, he we don't have the resolve or the insight to cut back on things that are seeming thriving. But those thriving things are the fruit of having favor and blessing on our life. But now we've got too many things thriving and we can't stay focused on what the Lord's called us to. And I don't hardly know anybody that has the resolve and insight to prune themselves. Some do. I've done it once or twice, but the other 500 times I didn't do it very successfully. Paragraph D. Oh, I love this one. He shows tender mercy. He shows his delight in his children, even in their weakness. In chapter, in paragraph one, one of the most significant chapters about God the Father from the lips of Jesus was Luke 15. Three parables. It's one of the most significant chapters about the Father's heart. I remember when I was about 18, 19 years old, I stumbled into Luke chapter 15, and I look back now, you know, almost 50 years later, and I go, Lord, Thank you that I stumbled in. I got locked into John 15 through various reasons. I did not know 50 years later I would look back and go, that was the most significant chapter to get stuck in. And every time you know, I preached to the high school, the junior high groups, you know, and I just, John, Luke 15, Luke 15, Luke 15, all the time. Okay, Bickle, you got any other verses? Luke 15, Luke 15. And I was actually talking myself into a place where my heart was going to grow for the next many years. I was trying to help the junior high and high school kids, you know, the little Bible studies I was leading, and God was anchoring me in it by making me say it over and over. The way we view God's heart towards us, especially when we face our sin, our failure, and our weakness, affects, radically affects how we approach God. The way you think God feels about you when you face your failure affects greatly how you approach him. I'm talking about a sincere believer who, who hits failure, but they've repented of the failure. They've acknowledged it before the Lord. That's not what they want to do. Most believers run from God instead of to God because they have a wrong idea of what the Father's like. They know what Jesus is teaching. They go, wow, it's amazing. But they go, this can't really be real. And Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled with shame. Believe what I'm going to tell you about the Father. The Father is the perfect example picture of the Father's what I gave you in Luke 15. That is the perfect example, I mean, representation of what the Father's like. Look at this. Luke 15, you can read all three of them yourself, all three of the parables. They're fantastic. You can't preach on it enough. When we have high school and junior high camps here, I always, not always, but almost always go to Luke 15. Some kids have been here three, four years ago in a row. You gotta do Luke 15 again? I go, I'll do Luke 15 to the day I die and probably in the resurrection I'll still be talking about it. I'm unashamedly 
loving Luke 15. Saved my life. It anchored me for many, many years. Didn't even know it back then. I thought I was helping those junior high kids. God was anchoring me. Verse 17, when the prodigal son repents. Verse 18, he says, I've sinned. He's acknowledged it. It's real. It's not fake. Verse 20, the father has compassion. The father runs towards him. Beloved, you take one step towards God, he'll take 10 towards you. There's nobody in their thinking, in their, their narrative of life imagines that to be true. But Jesus said, believe that I told you the truth about the father. The father embraced his neck and kissed him and gave him the ring and the fatted calf and the dinner. Read John 15, I mean uh, Luke 15. The point being is that this, this guy had repented. He didn't go through all the classes yet. He hadn't been on probation for three years. He's fully in first class status in the father's house. Like, how could this possibly be, be? And the Pharisees were so angry when he taught this about sinners because there's tax gatherers and harlots there and the Pharisees. And he's looking at the Pharisees. He goes, this is what the father's like. And they're like, ah. Beloved, Pharisees, this is good news for you grouchy old guys too. This is how God will treat you. So get that thing off your face, that frown. Paragraph two, when he called Matthew the tax gatherer, all the Matthew, I mean, tax gatherer were, were probably the greatest sinners in Israel because they took money from their own people to give to the Romans, and the Romans were cheating the people, and the tax gatherers, the Romans said, hey, if you'll squeeze your family members for more money, we'll give you a bigger cut. I mean, it was the ultimate betrayal, a tax gatherer against their own family members. Everyone hated him. Jesus had dinner with them. The Pharisee said, what on earth are you doing? It looks like you like them. <laughs> it's what it looks like. And Jesus says, look here, this is the teaching of Jesus. Verse 13, go and learn. Pharisees, learn. The Father desires mercy. Go learn that. Jesus is now saying in John 14, the passage we're on, go back to my teachings. Take, they're not just teachings. They're not just stories. My father wants you to know he will embrace tax gatherers and sinners. And a lot of times we think of the prodigal as just the gang leader gets saved and he gets saved. Well, brother, the, I mean, beloved, the prodigals were family members who squandered their place in the kingdom and went way back and came back. The prodigal said they were children. They were in the family. They weren't the unbelieving gang member. It was the guy that knew the father's table and walked away from it and then wanted his way back. That Jesus says, do you understand the mercy of my father, what he's like? Paragraph E, the father's encouragement and affirmation. There is such a powerful spirit of accusation that's in, the Bible makes it clear in Revelation 12, verse 10, the enemy is going to be spewing out accusation night and day. He's going to give it directly to people to their minds. He's going to give it directly to people through the lips of people around them. The spirit of accusation attacking you through the lips of others. He'll give it to you through dreams and visions. You'll have this horrifying torment dream that you're a loser and it's gone. It's a lie. It's not the father. He doesn't talk that way to his children. Believe what Jesus says about the Father. He goes, I never talk to anyone that way. 
I am the perfect picture of the Father. I'm going to be gone. You have to believe he is like me. Or you're going to get in trouble as the years unfold when the troubles emerge and, and even your own failures or disappointments or pains. You're not going to know how to navigate those difficult things if you don't believe the Father is like me. Go back and read the Gospels and connect the dots with the Father's leadership. Top of page four. The Father trains and teaches his children. Beloved, the Holy Spirit knows everything about everything. He knows everything about you. He knows everything about the future. He knows everything about God's will for you. Talk to the Holy Spirit. Show me, teach me. Teach me, Holy Spirit, what the Father wants. And, and it's really the Father speaking to us through the Spirit. What do I do with my money? What do I do with my health? What do I do with my energy? What do I do with this difficult relationship? What do I do with this opportunity? What do I do here? What do I do? Talk often. And the Father says, I will give you more if you ask for it. Many people ask occasional direction on what city they're supposed to move or who they're supposed to marry or what ministry they're supposed to do or what job to take. And maybe they don't ask much more. You ought to, we all ought to be asking day after day, constantly asking the Father. The Father loves to train. He loves to teach. He teaches through the Holy Spirit. He'll teach you about your money. He'll teach you about your health. He'll teach you about your weaknesses. He'll teach you about your, your future. He'll tell you how to reread your, uh, how to reinterpret your past. He'll teach you everything. But a lot of folks, they don't think of the Father as wanting to teach them. Besides to tell them what city to go to, who to marry, what ministry to do, you know, blah, 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 which are really good points. I'm, those aren't blah, blah, blah points. But I mean, we understand those points. Those are important. But we could be having these conversations throughout the day. Lord, teach me how to enjoy the Bible. Teach me how to relate to this guy that's in the internship that bugs me. Teach me how to relate to him. Okay, okay, let's move on. Paragraph G. <laughs> the Father corrects. And disciples, he disciplines. He disciples and disciplines his children. His correction is not rejection. Paragraph seven, he provides and blesses. You know, he says, Jesus talked about the Father. He says, don't let fear dominate you. He says, food and clothing. I mean, we're in an hour of history where people are really nervous about food and clothing in the years and, and decades ahead, whatever. He says, Jesus said, don't let fear dominate you. When that fear rises up, it's normal to have the fear. Say what God says. Lord, you said you would provide. You would help. You said the birds don't work for their food, but you give them the food. Jesus said, your heavenly father, he provides and he blesses his people. Paragraph eight, or expression eight, he guides and protects. You know, when... I mean, just regularly. I don't do this enough, but I do this a lot. Uh, not enough, though. I just drive from here to there, and I just whisper to the Lord, just protect me, Holy Spirit, by the blood of Jesus. Or I go in a situation, I go, just show me your favor and guidance. And he says, if you'll ask me more, I'll do more. I'll guide you to go here and go there. I got a number of examples where it just kind of Seemed like randomly I went here instead of there, and I missed a, a, a huge negative. I went, I didn't even know I was doing anything wise. I just randomly did it. And the Lord would whisper back and say something, not that I really heard this, but, hey, you've been talking to me. 
And you've asked me, and I will. I will guide you. I will protect you. And there's plenty of verses, but talk to the Father about him. Number nine, he rewards and he honors. There, Jesus talked more about the Father rewarding the people. Somewhere in the body of Christ, there's this real distorted view of eternal rewards that I've heard over the years. I don't care about rewards. I go, I think you do. I just, think, I just don't think you know enough about them to not care. That's why you don't care about them. Jesus knew more about the Father's rewards, rewards in this age, but mostly in the age to come. He knew more and taught more about rewards than anyone in the Bible because he knew more about them. And he said, you really do want these. Because rewards, and the reason people kind of put them down, they think, I don't want to be over a bunch of people, you know, and be their boss. I go, that's not what rewards are. That, that's a secular view of rewards. Rewards are Jesus or the Father expressing how they feel about the way you love them in this age. And the Father has so, he's so rich, he's so generous, he's so kind. He goes, I want to show you how I feel about the way you love me. And you're going to want to, you're going to have garments, you're going to wear your love for me in the age to come. And rewards really matter. Jesus mentioned the Father rewards a number of times. And the number 10, the Father prepared the kingdom from the beginning of the world. The Father calls forth, like he called Peter, you're the rock. And then Peter, you know, denied him before a little servant girl. You know, he told John and James, you're a son of thunder. And they had arrogance and pride in their life, but they were thundering in the love of God before it was over. He told Gideon when he was afraid, you're a mighty man of valor. He told David when he's a boy shepherd, you're a man after God's own heart. God names us. He calls us forth. He plans things for us. Those are things the Father does. I'm gonna take just, just two more minutes and look at Roman numeral four. Because I say this every time, but I cannot say this too many times. Is that we have to behold the love of God. This is John, John the Apostle. A few years later, he's writing this after he wrote John 14. He says, verse, uh, John, 1 John 3, 1, Behold, the quality of love the Father has. Well, he says the manner, put the word quality. When John says behold, he's saying pay attention. Stay attentive. Stay engaged with the quality of love. Like these 10 things. But you could have 20 of these expressions. I've given you 10. And I just did a half, most of them rapid fire. Behold these things. Stay engaged in them. Study them out. Talk to God about them. How do we behold, paragraph B, how do we stay engaged with the Father on, these, on the manner or the quality of love he has? Beloved, the simplest way, this isn't the only way, this is the main way. By simply saying those things back to God. Put them in your mouth and in the conversation, and they will grow in your heart and mind. Get them in your mouth with God. Hosea 4, 14. Hosea says, when you return to the Lord, bring words with you when you come to God. Because when you say words to God, your mind and emotions get touched. Ever so slightly, but they get touched. Very incrementally, but you're moving that direction. When you speak what God speaks, speak it back to God. In the passage, I've looked at this so many times over the years, but I love it. It's just, it's just so beautiful. Deuteronomy 30. And when you read it in its context, in verse 6, Deuteronomy, I don't have it written there in verse 6, but uh, that's when uh, the Lord says, and my people are going to love me with all of their heart in that day, and their children will love me too. 
Then a few verses later, here in verse 11, Moses says, the commandment, it's not too mysterious. People go, I, I hear it all the time, I don't know how to love God. I don't understand it. No, actually, it's quite simple. It's not hard to understand. You're complicating it. You're imagining that there's 12 secret steps to loving God. No, it's quite simple. It's straightforward. It's challenging to do it, but it's not confusing. It isn't mysterious. It's not far off. You don't have to get on the plane and fly to the revival center on the other end of the world and have the famous evangelist lay hands on you to give it to you. It's not far away. You don't have to go somewhere to get the grace of God, to love and obey God. It's not in heaven. Oh, man, if I was like that prophet and I could have a heavenly encounter, it would all be different. He goes, no, it's not in heaven that someone has to have a heavenly encounter on a chariot and come back, lay hands on you. Now you got it. He goes, no. It's not beyond the sea. It's not beyond the sea. And that's the, 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 the one I, I'm talking about. You don't have to get on a boat and go or a plane far away and get it from somewhere else. He says in verse 14, the ability to love and obey God is very near to you. It's in your mouth. Say it to God and your heart will grow. He goes, it's that close to you. It's in your mouth. And there's a hundred verses that back this up. But I find out this is a, one of the most fundamental Bible truths that many people don't get around to. When God gives a promise, say, thank you, show me more. When God gives a commandment, you say, yes, Lord, help me to do it. And then just talk to him a little bit more, pray in the spirit a little bit, pray for 30, 40 seconds, two, three minutes, move on to the next verse. And you just do that regularly, and I'm telling you, your mind and your heart will grow under the influence of the peace of God. God will give you supernatural ability to enter into these things. It's not far off. It's not out of your ability. It's not, well, when I go through 15 programs, finally I will get my heart connected. Get these promises in your mouth in your conversation with God, and I tell you, your heart will line up little by little. It's slow. At least my experience is slow, but it's real. Amen and amen. Let's stand before the Lord. Oh, Jesus, we love your leadership. And Lord, we are alerted that have you been with us so long and we still don't get the, to connect the dots about the Father's leadership after all these years. But Lord, we're saying yes to you in this house and many across the earth. We're saying yes, Father, to trust your leadership. We're saying yes to you. You know, these things I've shared are so, so simple. Someone's saying, well, you're gonna share tonight. I go, it's really simple. There's <laughs> just nothing confusing about it. But you know, it's easy to lose sight of it. And so we wanna just keep reminding ourselves, take some of these phrases and get it, talk to the Lord and open it up and say, Lord, is this really true? Is this how this really works? And I tell you, you will find that it does. Father, here we are before you. And Holy Spirit, we ask you just to come and rest on us. Come and rest on us, Father. By the power of the Holy Spirit, I ask you to come and rest on us. 
Again, I take authority over lies. The, the biggest thing the enemy hits us with isn't even the temptation to lustful things, whether it's sexual things or alcohol or lust. There's all kinds of lust. You know, there are five or ten types of lust. The most, I think, challenging thing is the, is the Satan's narrative about our life. And the Lord says, trust what I say about you. So, Father, I'm asking you to wash our hearts with the water of the word. Come and wash us. Father, we love you. Father, you're just like Jesus. You think and feel and do the things he did in the Gospels. That's what you're really like. No matter how troublesome things get, we're in good hands. Let me be found With a heart after you And may your eyes find This heart loyal to you Let me be found With a heart after you. And Jesus, may your eyes find this heart, find it loyal to you. Father, I ask for the spirit of grace to come and rest on us. Let me be found. Oh, Jesus, with a heart after you. Mm. And may your eyes find, find this heart loyal Lord, we say yes. We want to believe you for these ten things in our life. Your leadership in our hearts and our lives. like wind, come like fire across this room. Holy Spirit, we just invite you today. Come like wind, come like fire across this room. Same, Father, you're tender towards us. In Jesus, may your eyes 
with us. You don't write us off. You have plans for us. You're kind to us. right now over lies I ask for the spirit of revelation of your heart as a father Father would you reveal yourself you're not a father filled with condemnation
for the spirit of revelation. Thank you, Jesus. more and more. We want to know the heart of the Father. Behold what manner of love. The love of the Father. Behold what Holy quality Spirit of love. Ask, would you reveal the heart of the Father? We say thank you and show me more. Thank you and show us more, Lord. Show us more, show us more. Wash our minds with the water of your word. Wash over us with the water of your word. Show us the love of the Father. Show us the love of the Father. Open up our hearts. Open up our hearts. Show us the love of the Father. Show us the love of the Father. Holy Spirit, show us the Father's heart. Show us the Father, and that is enough for us. That is enough for us. Where? 